and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who does not owe the nation of Argentina an apology. <laughs> His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. No, I do not. Does that mean you do? Yeah, I mean, um, as, Mark, as Mark Wahlberg would say, mm-hmm. I must be the other guy. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> because in our preview, mm-hmm. I predicted basically total disaster for Argentina um, at this World Cup, mostly because their defending is so poor and I didn't think they had any mm-hmm. attacking threat to really offer. Instead, they are the story of today at the Women's World Cup. I mean, you were correct for about 70 minutes in this game. Yeah, so was Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> so, am I right? The big story of this game isn't England beating Japan 2-0. Um, of this game? No, certainly of, not. Of this day. Yeah. Um, it is, in the same group, Scotland going 3-0 up, mm-hmm. having a pretty firm grip on a third, one of the third-place uh uh, knockout round tickets mm-hmm. um, and then Argentina scoring three goals in the last what 20, 15 to 20 minutes mm-hmm. um, making it 3-3 and knocking Scotland out and maybe giving themselves a chance to go through maybe, maybe. maybe we'll, yeah. we'll talk about the mathematics of the best third place teams maybe later on mm-hmm. but I really want to dig into this game sure if you'll join me sure so we're going to talk VAR uh, we're going to talk all three of those Argentina goals since <laughs> it's VAR again. <laughs> literally never happened a comeback of that magnitude but we'll oh. start with maybe what Scotland were doing because I do think it's not even a game of two halves in this case. It's a game of, as we've already said, like 70 minutes of Scotland yeah. more or less dominating. Argentina, don't get me wrong, did get chances. They hit the post, uh, I think, a couple times in them, and then they end up hitting the post again later on. That one turns out a little bit better. <laughs> uh, but, I, uh, but I do think part of the narrative of this game is that Scotland go up 3-0, start to get a little bit of confidence or a lot of confidence, start to maybe think, oh, we can further erase goal difference and really secure yeah. a spot and I think that's part of the reason why they're vulnerable and I think Argentina makes some changes that yep. change the game as well maybe mm-hmm. we'll get into that like uh, chronologically sure. I want to start with the three Scotland goals but I don't think we should break I think you agree right we don't want to break them each one of them down because mm-hmm. the story is the comeback right it is uh, so the goals from Little in the 19th minute BT in the 49th and Cuthbert in the 69th I would argue all of them involve some terrible Argentinian defending <laughs> I would agree, and I would double down on not just terrible Argentinian defending, but terrible defending off of set pieces. The first goal, the Kim yeah. Little goal, is a throw-in. Uh, the second goal, the BD goal, is a corner, as is the third goal with Cuthbert. Oh, do you mm. want to point out any specific examples? I mean, like I could say like maybe Solo Jaimez literally falls over, and mm-hmm. that's why Cuthbert's free to score the third goal. I mean, there's, there's one really, really easy example, right? It, well, it's a combination of too loose of marking and then at the wrong time too aggressive of marking. The Scottish goal? I mean, all of them. Oh. It's a lot of set-piece <laughs> defending where if I'm defending Daryl, like, like the distance of this table, which is maybe like three feet, that's about how Argentina seem to want to defend. So it's more like, okay, I've got Daryl. I'm roughly defending him. Is it so that when Scottish players run and then they've got they can see where they run and go with them. I think that's the, what it's theoretically. Theoretically, I think that's what it's supposed to be. But to me, that's a little bit of an outdated idea. Like that's how I was taught to mark when I was twelve. Uh-huh. But I think as time has gone on, it's obviously that was much, like in the fifties, right? Exactly. Uh, as time has gone on, you're older than me, <laughs> sir. Know, uh, it's like, but I did the joke first. So. <laughs> but to, like it allows you if you're closer to the player and you can get a hold of that player or kind of hold the jersey. It not only do you know where that player is, but you can also then like maybe step in front or maybe knock them off a little bit. Yeah. You don't let them get the momentum they you want. You're in control of the situation. Exactly. Which I think Argentina never look in control mm-hmm. of the situation when there's a, especially a corner kick coming in. Right. Yeah. yeah and so, but then the like the then continued point of that is that so then what ends up happening is Argentinian players are trying to aggressively make up ground or catch up to the player who's now ahead and then yeah. they over pursue and that leaves opportunities for uh, Scotland. Yeah, I mean, do you want to go into any more detail on the three Scottish goals or do you want to now just get straight to what, what happened when Argentina came back? Uh, we can we can go back other than to say that I, I did feel a little bit better about my, my uh, hype, my pre-tournament hype of Aaron Cuthbert. Yeah, She's she involved. scores the first goal, right? Oh, uh, she, she no. gets the assist on the first goal, but mm-hmm. it's very, very, it's Little's goal, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of Cuthbert in there. Yeah, she's, she's, <laughs> yeah, she's involved in all three goals yeah. uh, to varying degrees and I think was probably Scotland's Hardest worker and best performer in this game, which is saying something given that yeah. Kim Little was in there. Kim Little did Kim Little things, but I thought Aaron Cuthbert, even after Argentina equalized, Cuthbert is the one who's still driving, still trying to find a way to win. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, maybe a good way of looking at the first goal is that it's um, it's a lame pass from Elmsey that's sort of half cut out by mm-hmm. an Argentinian defender, but not particularly successful. Cuthbert wins the ball back, yeah. and then she exploits the space from that defender being out of position yeah. and drives at the defense. It's what her shot saved, and then she sort of volleys it back across yeah. to Kim Little. I think that's a really good example of Cuthbert exploiting some Argentinian mistakes. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, and, and it all felt like it was going really well for Scotland. And, and again... 3-0 in the 69th minute. And I want to reiterate, I think that's part of the problem because 
once you're really feeling too it, comfortable yeah a little bit is I it think. the new most dangerous lead in soccer it used to be 2-0 now it's 3-0 in the 69th minute if you're Scottish well see I never believe that because the <laughs> because the I think that's what teams tell themselves when they go 2-0 yeah. down is like but it's the most dangerous scoreline it's a way of not getting yeah. complacent more so it's just it's the most dangerous mentality is to think yes. oh okay this team is done and dusted it's 3-0 let's go for another let's go for another and that's what you and I noticed in the lead up to Argentina's first goal it's Scotland just keep pushing numbers forward they keep putting pressure on even when the ball goes all the way back they to pressed, they pressed, Perea, right? they the goalkeeper. They pressed the defenders, pressed the yeah. goalkeeper, and they're able, then able to be cut out. Yeah. Before we get into the detail of it, I think it's really important to note that after the um, just mm-hmm. before the Cuthbert goal and after the Cuthbert goal, uh, which is the third, it's got yeah. a 3-0, 69th minute, Argentina make a couple of changes. Mm-hmm. They take out arguably their two most famous players, uh, Benini, uh, the uh, creative midfielder, and Solo Hames, the, the striker. Mm-hmm. For Menendez comes in for Benini, and Ippolito comes on for Hames. Mm-hmm. Both of these players that come in, not as famous, maybe not as skilled, faster. Yeah. Both of them are faster. So suddenly, Scotland have been getting away with pushing numbers forward and scoring a bunch of goals. But I think the, I don't know how deliberate this like tactical masterstroke is, but suddenly the, uh, Argentina have pace on the counter. And I don't think Scotland ever recalculated to reckon with that. And I think that's part of how this game changes. Yeah, I think, I think you do that math. You add Scotland feeling a little bit like the game is theirs. They can coast a bit. We'll send numbers forward. Add that to Argentina making uh, like good attacking adjustments that mm-hmm. put on pace and physicality and yeah. determination and add those together and it equals vulnerability, uh-huh. I think, for Scotland and opportunity for Argentina. It equals three goals in the last mm-hmm. 20 minutes. The first of which is scored by one of those subs, mm-hmm. Menendez, in the 74th, assisted by one of those subs, I believe, mm-hmm. Ippolito. Yeah. So let's talk about this goal. Is this, this is the one that starts with Scotland, again, 3-0 up, yep. 15 minutes to go. They're pressing the opposition goalkeeper. Yeah, I mean, they have five five players committed forward, yeah. which it does force the goalkeeper into kicking it long. But the thing is, I don't... Oh, yeah, over the top of all of them. Yeah, exactly. Because I, <laughs> I think that's not necessarily what she didn't want to do. Like, I think they were okay with kicking yeah. long. And if you've put five numbers forward, it leaves only five at the back. And it also, because of the way the ball drops and because of the way they've committed some of their central midfielders forward Scotland, it leaves... They vacated central midfield, right? There's no space. defensive midfield. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, who is it who uh, wins this header? I believe it's uh, Ban Segundo mm-hmm. uh, gets the flick. Not uncontested because Rachel Corsi has come out to challenge her. Uh, it's fairly uncontested. Fairly uncontested. Because Rachel Corsi, right? she steps late because of that space. And so yeah. she's kind of in between where she was when she decided to step and where she needs to be yeah. to really challenge for that header <sighs> when it's flicked on. I, th- I think it's not a massive mistake by her. I think it's caused by there being no pressure from the, the non-existent midfield. So she just has a choice to make. And maybe she makes the wrong choice, but I could see why she made it in the moment. I'll say it like this, it's not a massive mistake until the 94th minute. And once it's 3-3, you go back and look at these, and yeah, 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 yeah. it's not necessarily a massive mistake, but once you keep adding up all these little mistakes, Mm -hmm. it ends up with a draw instead of a win. And here... Because she steps out, now there's a little bit of a void in center back. And then when she's trying to get back, somebody else is stepping out. And once you're into that scramble mode, you're not doing like the type of defending you want to do, which is like proactive defending where you're kind of controlling things. You're just trying to put out fires. And that's really evident in the way Scotland defended yeah. once Argentina were on the counter. And so Bonsagona gets this flick on. Mm-hmm. I think BT, Corsi's center back partner, yeah. thinks she's got time to just control yeah. the ball. But the other sub, Ippolito, has different ideas. Yeah. And I would describe this as she zips across the front of BT and gets to the ball first. And this is a situation where, of course, he had been back alongside BT. Mm-hmm. She'd have been able to snuff this out. Yeah. But I mean, she's not because she stepped forward. I, yeah, I think so. And, and then I think, uh, yeah, then there's like the players knocked down. You've got kind of a scramble there. And again, this is where it still ends up in like a 3v3 counter. But I think it's just because of uh, Scotland trying to back off and making sure they've got everything covered, you end up leaving yep. other players open. And so Ippolito slips in Menendez mm-hmm. with a nice little pass because Menendez mm-hmm. made that run down the outside. And then Menendez uh, finishes past Alexander. And suddenly it's 3 1 and the comeback is on. Yes, yes. And I want to uh, pause here to say, uh, Scotland's right back Smith like she it's the start of a kind of a bad sequence for her because here she's she subbed out eventually right uh, yes she does uh, but she's trying to figure out if she should worry about Ippolito who's driving with the ball even though there's other defensive cover there or track Menendez who's out to uh, her right if you're Smith yeah. and so she tries to split the difference but when you do that and if you don't do it really well and keep those angles really tight then you end up almost always over committing to one or the other. And here yeah. she kind of goes inside to deal with Ippolito and leaves all that space out wide for the ball through to Menendez. And then it's in the back of the net. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And then Argentina's second goal, just five minutes later, starts mm-hmm. incredibly with a Scottish corner kick yep. in which they send, you counted this, right? Yep. They send eight players forward. Yep. They only leave back the goalkeeper, 
and the two fullbacks. Yep. I mean, so you know this is my one of my pet peeves is mm-hmm. don't send your centre-backs forward for corner kicks when you're winning because yep. you're exposing yourself at the back and you might get in trouble. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to bang on that too long because <laughs> people have heard it before. I think, you, I think you just did. I, I banged on it for <laughs> 10 seconds. I don't think you can say it and then be like, but I'm not going to say it again. <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to bang on it forever. All right? <laughs> all I, just, right. I just gave it two bangs. Uh-huh. Um, maybe three. Yeah. Um, so here's my question for you, though. Uh-huh. Why were Scotland sending this many people forward? It's not just a centre-back question, it's an everybody yeah. question. When they're 3-1 up. It, like, it, for example, is there something where like, they think they need better goal difference to secure third place? Or, well, like, what, what's the thinking here? I mean, that's, that's a possibility. I, I have no idea. I don't know why they did it. I agree with you that if, if it's now 3-1 to one and you're trying to kind of make sure you get through, yeah. it feels like you probably want to be a little bit more solid defensively and yep. not really worry about like scoring more goals at the risk uh-huh. of conceding more. Because we, we were doing the math, right? Like At this point, Scotland have three points. Mm-hmm. So in the terms of the third-place rankings, they'd be the third-place team. They'd be level on points with Nigeria, who have three points. They're one of the other, other third-place teams. Mm-hmm. Nigeria have a negative two or negative three goal difference. Scotland at 3-1 up would have had a zero goal difference. So they'd be ahead of Nigeria. They're, mm-hmm. they're in an okay spot. They don't really need more goals. Yeah, so it might just be they don't want to take their foot off the pedal. I yeah. don't really know why, but it's what they go for. It is what they go for. So all those players are forward. Cross comes in. Argentina break mm-hmm. after the after the corner kick. And it's Bonsegundo. Yep. Away goes Bonsegundo. I've just realized she's involved in all three of these Argentina goals. She certainly yeah. is. Uh, yes, but here, yeah, like to varying degrees of like increasing yeah, yeah. importance, I would Incre- say. Yeah, yeah, it slowly increases. Yeah. Uh, I guess rapidly since she's, <laughs> she, she's in there for these two. Um, but yeah, it's, it's Bonsegundo, Bonsegundo in there, as you said, the two center backs forward. Um, so you have like, they're trying to get back into position, but at that point, again, scrambling, you're scrambling. You before, yeah. yeah, and so what ends up happening, though, is I think it, it is still a little bit fortunate for Argentina because Bonsegundo's trying to play in, in Menendez. I think it's similar kind of shape of driving yeah. forward, play it wide, see what Menendez can do. dribble down the left, basically, right? Because yeah. there is open space. Yeah. And this is where I, I mentioned uh, Smith, the right back for Scotland earlier. Mm-hmm. Here it is again. Smith is... I don't think she meet, like is necessarily like making a play on the ball. I think that she's just, again, trying to split the difference. This time the ball goes to her, and she tries to make a play. She tries to clear it, and she basically passes it right to Bonsegundo again. Then she tries to like, make up for that by making a good defensive play. She bites one cut. She gets back into shape, bites on the other cut. Good and now this backs for Bonsegundo. Mm-hmm. Re- it's really nice, really yep. nice moves from Bonsegundo that Smith bites. And I would it, say yeah. an even better finish from oh. Bonsegundo. I actually think, the, before we talk about the finish, the worst part of all this is Smith's clearance. Because she has time to... Mm-hmm. Like maybe pick out a pass, pick a head up, do something a lot calmer. I feel like it's a panicky clearance, and 100%. that's why it's just hit. It's mishit, low, back to Segunda, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, just calm down, Smith, and things might have been okay. But, I mean, I, again, I think that's representative of all of Scotland at this point, that yeah. they're all sort of panicking and trying to make panicky plays. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I would fault uh, Alexander here, even though she gets the blame she for the own goal. the own goal, mm-hmm. yeah, which feels harsh on Alexander, because she essentially makes a save from mm-hmm. the Segundo strike from distance onto the bar. Then what drops down and hits Alexander and goes in. It, like basically, she pushes it onto the bar and then it rebounds off the bar and hits her hand that she had used to push it onto the bar. Oh. It hits the backside of her hand and then goes in. So for the the crime of almost making a save mm-hmm. <laughs> or making a save yeah. and then getting the rebound, um, Alexander gets an own goal and Segundo doesn't get the credit at least on the score sheet yeah. of this beautiful strike that she hits from mm-hmm. distance. She does get uh, Bonsegundo does get mobbed in a way that I found like for a moment when we were watching this, I think we had it on the smaller screen because we still thought. Uh, it was all Scotland's, yeah, and so yeah. we were focused on the England game. I thought like maybe it got called back, and so she was frustrated, but then she got mobbed, and I realized that goal was going to count. <laughs> I think Scotland realized it at that point, because then they, too, start making some more changes. They had not yet made a substitution at this point. Yeah. Uh, in the 86th minute, they make a double change. Smith and Evans come off. Howard and Brown come on. And I want to pause so here. Howard goes to right back. Howard goes to right back, which is going to be sort of a fateful moment in uh-huh. about three seconds after she comes on. <laughs> but this is where I do want to make note that doesn't change anything, obviously doesn't change the result and isn't necessarily that important. But I do think this is where the center official started to let the game oh, get I out forgot, of control. I forgot about it. Because this. It, this substitution happens with uh, Argentina having a free kick. And it's a double substitution for Scotland. Uh, it is Howard comes on first. That swap happens. Yeah. Brown is waiting. And basically, as the high five happens for Brown to step onto the field, the referee blows for play to resume. Mm-hmm. And Maybe she's trying to hurry the game along because she doesn't want Scotland wasting time. But those players like jogged off the field. I, it felt to me like she just kind of wasn't aware that there was a double substitution. And so she lets play resume. That's but, bad game management, right? But, if you don't know that there's two subs. I mean, she'll job yeah. to know there's two subs and to restart play after the second sub yeah. has entered. But yeah. watch watch Brown when she runs on the field. And she has her arms out, like very confused as to why play has yeah. been allowed to resume. She's protesting. She's yeah. protesting that play's been allowed to resume, right? And I do think that that's probably, if she's, if she's confused by it, I have to 
assume so are the rest of her teammates. And if you watch the way Scotland defend this, it's very panicky, which they had already been. So yeah. there's that. But it, this adds just an extra yeah. like couple of percentage points to the panic. Absolutely. Right? Or the but, confusion, at least. Yeah. yeah. If you, the if distraction. You're, if you're sitting there waiting for that substitution for the referee to say, okay, play on, and you're sort of like, okay, there's another sub, and you're kind of sitting there waiting and waiting, and then suddenly the whistle goes, and you're not aware that it's about to happen. Yeah. And you have 10 players for yeah. like 10 seconds or so. Yeah. You got to scramble a little bit. And, and I do think that this is where Scotland. <laughs> you didn't have to scramble as much as Howard does, but yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, but again, like, I wonder if she's in the position she wants to be in when this play resumes, or if she's just like, okay, I'm here now. She gets a chance to head it. She doesn't head it fully clear. She heads it about 10 yards clear, which I have to believe is not what she was trying to do. Uh, and that, I think, also explains then she's already maybe a little bit nervous, a little bit panicky, because maybe she's out of position. Maybe she's trying to figure things out. Then she misses this clearance. So now I think she's really focused on trying to make up for it and ends up just stepping out too far and then she's scrambling again. She is and she commits the foul on Kometi that yep. gives away the penalty kick. Before we get into the details of that, I do want to just note um, that, I'm sorry, who was the player that, that came on that we were just talking about, number 20? Brown. Uh, which one? Brown. Yeah. Right, yeah, okay. Brown comes on for Evans, who's the right winger. Mm-hmm. So she did, she's got to go all the way to the other mm-hmm. side of the field yep. and that's the space in front of Howard. Yep. That is, there's a player who should have been allowed to be there, but she wasn't by the ref. So yep. if you're Scottish, this maybe is, rather than the keeper off the line stuff, mm-hmm. maybe this is the thing you should be uh, uh, being uh, concerned about the, the laws of the game and yep. f- game management for. Mm-hmm. Fair? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but it's this is the start of, like, maybe, this wasn't even kind of mentioned, but to me it's a very controversial moment. Then you have the penalty, referee waves it off, says... I guess it was a dive or there wasn't enough contact. Yeah, or oh, she thinks maybe Howard got the ball on the slide yeah. and met it. Yeah. yeah, then we have VAR, and it, maybe there's like one or two still images that make it seem like maybe Howard gets the ball first. But even if she does, I think it's she gets a lot of leg. very <laughs> minor. Yeah. Uh, I don't think the ball's trajectory changes at all or the path that it's running moves, and then she ends up taking out Kometi. So, yeah, I yep. think it's like even if she maybe slightly gets the ball, that does not then allow her to clear out a player yep. and prevent her from continuing on the path that she was running on. All right, so Bonsegundo steps up to take mm-hmm. the penalty kick after it's been awarded via VAR. And I would argue this is maybe the more controversial moment in this whole thing is the actions of Corsi, mm-hmm. the Scottish captain, and Crichton, the midfielder. Because they do a lot... I, I would disagree, but okay. Okay, well, okay, one of the most <laughs> a controversial thing yeah. that happens is Corsi and Crichton basically get take turns getting uh-huh. in Segundo's face, not saying bon, nice bon things Segundo. to yeah. bon Segundo's face, mm-hmm. the, the penalty kick taker. Mm-hmm. Um, Corsi's uh, like remonstrating with the ref and like talking to her goalkeeper, Alexander, slowing things down. Mm-hmm. It's a long time between this penalty being awarded and this penalty being taken, right? It might be three, four, five minutes. I mean... It's awarded in the 86th, but, well, sorry, excuse me. I think it's around the 86th is when the VAR okay. happens. So probably a minute or two there. Yeah, I mean, and eventually we're going to get to the retake, but when it is actually put in, it's the 94th minute. Ooh. Yeah. So, and the actual first take is around about 91, 92, yeah, right? I think so. a, it's a long time. Mm-hmm. So essentially, I think they are, what's the phrase? Like icing the kicker, kind of? Trying, like, to. trying to. Trying to just delay it as long as possible so, so the penalty kick taker, Bonsa Gundo, has too long to think about it. Saying, again, what I assume are not nice things to her. Mm-hmm. Um, like, is it Corsi who just like bends down with her over the penalty? spot and yep. just talking right in her face mm-hmm. and as the ref comes and removes her the ref's then distracted and then Crichton comes in mm-hmm. they're sort of tag teaming it they are yeah yeah I, I agree and, I, and it was the moment when I was like wow rooting for Scotland was sort of like I, not like this I don't, want, like I don't this. want it to be like that <laughs> I do think there is a, a little bit more gamesmanship to it than what you mentioned like like aside from gamesmanship that I don't really like mm-hmm. uh, which is what that was I did notice that I believe it was Corsi when she's talking to the uh, the official who's trying to talk to Alexander the goalkeeper for Scotland about what she needs to do and how she needs to have her feet set yeah. Corsi basically I, I think gestures to Alexander 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 leaves the goal. The official's yelling at her, why have you left the goal? She goes and gets a piece of paper, opens it up, and it's very clearly uh, yeah. their homework on where penalty kicks go for Argentina. Are you allowed to do that? Because she then very quickly puts it behind her back in a sort of like, oh, me, I've got nothing. Kind of I, I, I think basically she doesn't want to give away that she has it or she doesn't really want to make it obvious. Yeah. But I think she's also then like trying to get back in before the referee gives her a yellow card for dissent or unsportsmanlike conduct for leaving uh, and coming back on. Uh, that's fair. Okay, yeah. yeah. And then she's into about like being on the line and yeah. listening to the ref. Mm-hmm. Essentially. But, th- right. but this this is where it did feel a little bit karmically like this this doesn't seem like a good look for Scotland if you're Scottish if you're a massive fan of Scotland maybe you don't care because in that moment the free, the penalty kick is taken and it's yeah. saved all seems right with the world again if you're Scottish <laughs> um, and and I would say here's another confusing moment is that then it's saved there's a rebound that's saved again and it spills wide 
And it looked to me very much like I believe Menendez absolutely clears out a Scottish player. Like yeah. they, they cut back to Alexander not really celebrating, but more so trying to focus on the play as yeah, it is. Yeah. And they cut back, and there's a player just on the ground crumpled. And I have to believe there was a physical tackle I think there. The ref gives a free kick to Scotland. She she points you the way, but then she hears something mm-hmm. in her ear. Yeah, and the but, thing she has heard in her ear, and she yeah. got more to say. Well, my is. point was just simply that, like, I think that that was definitely going to be a card, and then I think that gets lost in the equation of yeah. like, oh wait, hold on, never mind, the penalty's being retaken. Yeah. So that. Massive tackle is no longer in the issue. So, Vive mm. the pe- for the third time this tournament, yep. the penalty is ordered retaken because Alexander was off the line yep. before Bansagundu mm-hmm. struck this penalty kick. There yep. is, there's an there's a image doing the rounds on Twitter where yep. it looks like she isn't off the line. We freeze-framed it in the office. She is, what, a foot off the line? Probably. Thereabouts. Yeah? yeah. Yeah, she mm-hmm. really steps forward just like a millisecond too early, mm-hmm. but it's too early. So, again, by the laws of the game, she is off the line. The penalty has to be retaken. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think this is my, like, marginal rooting interest in Scotland speaking, but... Like, I understand that that's the rule. It's how I felt in the France game as well. Like, I understand this is the rule. It's correctly interpreted. It's how it's going to be given. I still think it makes zero sense to me because it's already really difficult to save a penalty. And you can see this on the retake that Alexander is so focused on trying to get a little bit of forward momentum to make the save but not leaving the line early. Yeah, yeah. That you can like you can see it. She is focused on keeping her feet on the line. She even more... tries to take a step yeah. backwards. She's not allowed to be behind the line when the kicker takes it. Mm-hmm. So she's trying to take a step backwards to have a run up, then step forwards as the kick is taken so she can then step forwards right. just after the kick is taken. And I think she's basically focused on that. That's what I'm saying. She's more so focused on where her feet are than actually saving a penalty, which yeah. is already really difficult. What Again, like 70% taken or scored. Mm-hmm. Like it's already difficult enough to score a penalty. And I think that it's going to be harder. I, I don't, I think we're going to get to a point where penalties are rarely, if ever, saved if we go this yeah. route because all you're going to be doing is focusing on, well, I don't want a yellow card. If a goalkeeper's already on a yellow card, then you really have to be careful about it. And I think it makes it so much harder for a goalkeeper to do the job. So I think we said this last time that mm-hmm. our biggest issue with this, I mean, it isn't that it's incorrect to the law, according to the laws of the yeah. game. It's absolutely correctly mm-hmm. applied, right? It's that they introduced this law right at the start of this tournament. Yep. So it's a thing that all these goalkeepers are not used to. I think this Alexander moment is the biggest example of that, mm-hmm. especially the, on the retake when she's sort of overthinking, she's thinking about what she's not allowed to do and she isn't able to take the penalty yeah. kick. So here's my question, I guess to you and to me and to everybody listening. Um, is it that like this is, it was introduced too early. I think we can all agree on that, right? Mm-hmm. It shouldn't have been introduced right, right before a World Cup. If we go through a season of goalkeepers getting used to this, does this become a skill that goalkeepers develop? Like, when to leave the line, like within the laws of the game and just like quick enough to try and, uh, you know, give themselves a good chance of saving their penalty? Or are keepers now in an impossible situation where even the very best keepers are not going to be able to overcome this obstacle? I think just- both is my answer. Like, I think that, yeah, the more you practice at something, the probably the better you'll be. Yeah. But there's always going to be that issue now. And I think this is one of the few times where I am sort of like with VAR thinking like this is where it is almost like robots don't know how to be human, and the re- like, like, and and there's something to be said for you haven't seen Robocop. That's true, uh, <laughs> I, but see, that's the thing. It's about humanity triumphing over him being a robot and like a, a machine. Uh, but like, if you like, if you want to see it this way, like, go back to the '99 uh, shootout in the Women's World Cup. Okay. Brianna Scurry is like six yards off her line. Yeah, she's obviously gaining an advantage. I uh, think the the it frustra- just wasn't enforced back then. Right? No, yeah. But I think like the frustration that I have with this, and I think a lot of people have, is that it removes a little bit of common sense from the equation. Like, go back to that France game, and that, like Wendy Renard is missing that penalty no matter what. She's going to hit it off the post. And I don't know. I think maybe the step forward could influence her to try and go a little wider um, around Andozi. And that I, so I would argue that whatever the keeper does influences the penalty kick taker. That's fair. Yeah. I would disagree. And I, <laughs> and I think that like in that moment, it, it, it's like, okay, you're six inches off the line. Sorry, you left the line. And that's how it is. Like It's a very robotic decision that mm-hmm. removes sort of like – I mean, if, if I right, put it this way. If Wendy Renard skied that penalty – because she just skied the penalty. If she closed her eyes and kicked it as hard as she could and put it over, but the keeper was six yards off the line, it's still being retaken. And that's the issue I have is it doesn't take into account any of like, the nuance of what goes on in saving a penalty or taking a penalty. And again, it's an emotional thing. It's not the rules of the game, but that's my frustration with it. So to answer your question in a roundabout way, I think, yeah, goalkeepers probably get better, but I think it will continue to be an issue because then it's going to get tighter and tighter. And, oh, 
like that goalkeeper's heel was two inches off the line. So it's got to be retaken, right? And technically Definitely, the answer yeah. is yes, but it's still just a frustrating reality. Yeah, so you're saying goalkeepers will get better at it, but they're still at a bigger disadvantage than they were before the law was changed. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. and and like to put a final point on it, in the, in the same way that when VAR first uh, like came into play, at least in my mind, in the 2018 World Cup, it felt like this almost, I think we talked about it as like a security blanket, where it was like, but we didn't have to worry about things being missed because, you know, the VAR is going to be there to make sure, oh, yeah, this handball was missed. Oh, yeah, that wasn't a penalty. Don't worry about it. And it feels like this is this is the one instance for me where VAR has flipped and it's become more of a like, VAR is probably going to take that back now. And like, I can't celebrate the save. I don't really get excited about it because I feel like with every single one of these, let's wait and see. Yep, her heels were six inches off the line. Well, we're stuck with it for the rest mm-hmm. of the tournament because they're not going to change it mid That is true. Right? Yeah. Yep. Um, the final score yep. is Scotland 3 Argentina three. Mm-hmm. That gives Argentina two points because they got the two draws, right? There yep. was the, the grind out the draw against Japan, the loss to England, and then these, this magnificent comeback. Like, this is a really big moment. This oh, magnificent yeah. comeback against Scotland. Right now... Again, it has never happened. I, I don't know if in either World Cup, but certainly not in a Women's World Cup. What's never happened? That style of comeback? The yep. three-goal comeback? Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. So this is huge for Argentina, but also they do still have a sliver of a chance of going through. And I do want to talk about the mathematical situation <laughs> you have at it my friend all right well tell me if i'm wrong they're in third place in group d they finish mm-hmm. in third place in group d which makes them one of the third place teams the situation is that the top four of six third place teams according to like your goals and then your goal difference and then goal sorry your points your goal difference and goal scored mm-hmm. your top four go through right, right. So it's like a four out of six kind of thing right now as i understand it argentina are the fourth best third place team you got it right so mm-hmm. brazil are in there um, I've forgotten the second place China. team. China. Brazil have six, China have four. So and those two are both guaranteed to go through, They are right? guaranteed. So then Nigeria are there with three points and a negative goal difference. Mm-hmm. And Argentina are then fourth with two points and negative still one. a negative one mm-hmm. goal difference, right? So they're competitors for that final... That The only people who can catch them for that final fourth place, third place... Fourth place, third place spot. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, right? Um, fourth, third place spot. Yeah. Are the, um, the teams uh, at the bottoms of groups E and F, which mm-hmm. are still to play... All of whom I believe have zero points. You are correct. And are all playing each other. Yes. So it's Chile, Thailand mm-hmm. in Group F, and it's New Zealand, Cameroon, Cameroon in Group E. Mm-hmm. If both of those games end in a draw, they only have one point. Yep. Argentina are through with two mm-hmm. points, right? Um, if any of those teams win, they yep. take Argentina. Yes. Yeah. And you have it's to kind be- of exciting. You have to believe that Chile will find a way through against Thailand to at yeah. least get one goal, uh-huh. which then puts them ahead of Argentina. That's, yeah, that's yeah. where the money would be. The, the unfortunate money would be if you're Argentina. Yeah. yeah. Cameroon, New Zealand is going to be the emotional one, I think, because that's yeah. going to be both teams knowing that they need all three points. So and those are two, really like, going for it. Pretty good teams, yep. right? Teams mm-hmm. that won as good as the other big, big teams in the yep. group, but pretty good teams who. Uh, are capable of beating each other. This is true. Yeah, yeah but it, we've seen New Zealand play very defensive, very like sitting back and kind of playing a physical game. That's not going to work against Cameroon because you've got to go and get the win. So how do they change their game? What do they do? How do Cameroon respond? And how do they take advantage of New Zealand being a little bit more open? All that remains to be seen. Find out Thursday mm-hmm. on the next episode of Women's World Cup 2019. Yep. So before we talk about today's other game, mm-hmm. England-Japan, which I'm kind of excited to talk about, obviously, because of, you know, my accent. Um, <laughs> and before we preview... To, uh, mm-hmm. Thursday's USA-Sweden game to, to close out Group F. Today's show is sponsored by Roughneck Scarves, our old friends at Roughneck Scarves, longest-running sponsors of this here Total Soccer show. That's pretty impressive. We very much appreciate that from Roughneck Scarves. Yeah, Roughneck Scarves are the official scarf provider uh, for U.S. soccer, for Major League Soccer, for the NCAA, and for the USL. And it seems like the perfect time mm-hmm. to shout out their US women's national US women's national team collection. Agreed. Right? The yeah. national team mm-hmm. collection. Because they have an awful lot of US women's national team scarves. They certainly do. <laughs> and I and, and to your point, I think, yeah, you've got uh the Sweden game coming up. Uh, either way, the United States advancing to the knockout round. So maybe if you've been holding off getting your US women's national yeah. team apparel, you can uh get a talisman cap that we talked about on yesterday's show. Yeah, yeah. And then you can get a scarf to uh accentuate that hat. Yeah, so if you yeah, you're like holding out like I'm not supporting this team till yeah. they're in the knock till they're in the knockout round. Yeah. Get them both. <laughs> Um, all kinds of great scarves. Mm-hmm. I like the Equalizer scarf uh, with the just big USWNT letters on it. Um, there's the classic One Nation, One Team mm-hmm. uh, slogan that the US goes with. And then there are individual player scarves, right? Like Alex Morgan with a 13 on it. Um, you can buy any of those and uh, wrap them around your neck. There you can. Uh, is there a Rose Lavelle one? I've been lobbying for the Rose Lavelle scarf. I feel like it still hasn't made its way into the collection. I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. 
I'm scrolling. I see Rapino. I see Heath. I see Horan. There, is, I see O'Hara. Ertz. Yeah. Nope. There's not a Rose Lavelle scarf. Is she not at that level yet? Is maybe Rose Lavelle just not quite like in the mainstream popular consciousness? It seems that way. way. That, it seems that um, way. And I feel like that's a personal affront to me, Roughneck Scarves. But instead... because she's not a 2015er, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but instead, I would say go for Lindsay Horan, maybe. Okay. Uh, yeah, because Lindsay Horan, uh, I really enjoyed the combination of like... <laughs> the fighting man's Rose Lavelle. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what I enjoy about Lindsay Horan. Is like she's obviously got the ability to go play in France before, like, like yeah, yeah. you know, foregoing college, as has been the narrative. But then also can, you know, knock people around that's and it, get it, into it if need be. Need yeah, be. Yeah. So she's kind of got the both so maybe like one side of the scarf should be like representative of her technical ability and the other one should just be like spikes <laughs> maybe this should be a combined Haran Lavelle scarf where, mm-hmm. where one side one side is spikes and the other side is super smooth that works like Lavelle skills I mean I mean Haran's got those skills too I think she it could does, be yeah. right mm-hmm. um, alright if you would uh, like to get any Roughneck mm-hmm. scarf there's also men's national team scarves all kinds of other nations um, as well um, go to roughneckscarves.com use the discount code Total Soccer Show or one word Total Soccer Show you'll get 20% off any scarf you can find you will indeed so thank you to Roughneck Scarves for sponsoring today's episode and for sponsoring the Total Soccer Show for as long as they have Uh, as you said one more game to discuss from today's results Japan v England 2-0 to England okay so England to Japan 0 as you said Mm -hmm. this seemed like not easy for England, but in my opinion, this is maybe a, like a fandom opinion more than an analytical opinion. It felt never in doubt. Yeah. I, would, yeah. I mean, I think you said that like inside the first 20 minutes. I think okay. you're Maybe that like, was just blind confidence. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it was it was justified because, you know, Japan have chances like I, I would argue intermittent chances yeah. and not a lot of like very, very clear cut chances. They've got a couple. But for the most part, it did feel like Japan kind of what we've seen from them, being a little bit slow in possession, don't necessarily want to go to a full-on aggressive counterattack and trying to catch yeah. England out the way, say, maybe Argentina did to Scotland. So I think with that comes a, an England team that if they're, if they're defensive and keep their shape, it's going to be really difficult to Japan, for Japan to find a way through. And contrasting with that, it's going to be easier for England because you can see that once they get everybody in the positions they want to be in, yeah. they have a lot more familiarity and a lot of awareness of where they need to be at any given moment. And so, especially the second goal for England, it's a lot of like players knowing exactly where they need to be or not be to kind of move out of space, to open up space, and ending up in, uh, in the second goal. But we should start chronologically with the first. Yeah, actually, do you mind if I start with the lineup? Because sure. I find this interesting. Mm-hmm. So England were through already, right? But this was like the battle for first place, right? So I kind of expected a full-strength England lineup. Phil Neville did a, a bit of, I guess, rotation and a bit of just getting everybody on the field, right? Mm-hmm. So England play what I would call like a 4-2-3-1, I think is the best way to describe it. The striker has been rotating back and forth, right? So it was White the first game, Jody Taylor the second game, White back again for the third game. The more interesting thing to me is the attacking midfield three. I think it, this is the second choice three. Mm-hmm. Right? Because usually it's what? Nikita Paris, it's definitely Frank Kirby, and it's Beth Mead on the left. We, we completely switched it up with Duggan, uh, the young player Stanway, and Daly on the right. Mm-hmm. And it didn't look like it um, like England skipped a beat too mm-hmm. much. It kind of looked like the same attacking England. I feel like every now and then when we talk England, we start to see Daryl's sort of rooting interest come yeah. out. Oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not pretending I'm not yeah. sort of biased or excited. Because I feel thing. like you're, you're talking about like kind of standard third day rotation as like, can you, I can't believe it. They did this and they found a way to think. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's probably what they're playing well, to I feel do. Like I've never had an England, an England women's team uh-huh. that has this sort of depth of talent. I, you gotcha. I mean, where right. you could, where you could mm-hmm. afford to do this. We're like, oh, we're not going to play Frank Kirby today, but we've got this kid, Stanway, who's mm-hmm. apparently is just as good because if you want to get to the goal Mm -hmm. she basically makes the first goal for Ellen White I mean, yeah, I was going to say, Ellen White's got some, some skills no, in here she, as well. She's definitely involved. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I think, I take your point, and I know what you mean, but I also think it's 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 kind of very representative of, I guess, what I was talking about, of like England's entire team knowing exactly how to play, because yeah. it's it's basically Japan, take a goal kick, uh, it goes relatively short and out to the right wing, Tony Duggan is there to apply a lot of pressure, uh, the ball uh, to, I think, Shimizu, the right back, it gets dropped back to uh, Kumagai, again, there's pressure on Kumagai, she clears, but even then, it's not a great clearance, I don't think it even makes it to midfield. But also, mm-hmm. England have committed so many numbers forward to put that press on that that's never getting picked up by a Japanese player. It's always going to be intercepted yeah. by England. And it's a defensive midfielder, Walsh, mm-hmm. who, yeah, like heads it directly to Stanway. Yep. And then away we go. Yeah. Right? I mean, and away, specifically, classic, classic Stanway goes. Counter yeah. and go, yeah. yeah so, yeah, can we talk about this Stanway sure. turn? Mm-hmm. I was, I think I had to slow mo this. So I couldn't see exactly what she'd done mm-hmm. um, to begin with. It's a very, so she's back to goal, right? When she receives it. Um, she's got a defender on her back, Sugita, mm-hmm. defender on her back. So she receives it with the inside of her foot. And then I think the moment is 
she turns quickly mm. with the outside of the same foot. Yep. And I think that's what Sugita's not expecting. And then Stanway sort of accelerates away and like, almost like a veteran, like puts the arm out to just put a bit of strength on it to make sure that Sugita can't get back across her. Yeah, I mean, but also using that as leverage because then you're forcing Sugita yeah. forward as you get away from Sugita yeah. in the same motion. Yeah, And Sugita tries to stick with it, right? Mm-hmm. And she's almost, I don't know if it's a foul or not, I don't think it is, but Stanway's going down towards the end and still manages to play this pass with the outside of her right foot. Yep. To Ellen White, who you noticed was, is very good at sort of treading the offside line. Yeah, because she doesn't just like run away. She doesn't try to open up space. She doesn't just make a darting run. She kind of reacts to what Stanway's doing. And in this case, she basically gets a little bit away, but she gets between two Japanese defenders. So neither one, I think, necessarily knows who is supposed to be yeah. marking her, but neither one wants to vacate that space either. Uh-huh. Then that through ball, she times it perfectly. So she's definitely on side. But it's a well-hit through ball that pulls the goalkeeper out and allows uh, uh, White to just basically... It's a very calm, in-step, left-footed finish. What is it, though? We had this mm-hmm. debate in the studio. Is this a chip? Does she chip it over the keeper? Does she pass it past the keeper? Is it some weird new hybrid um, strike that Ellen White has invented? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, yeah, it's probably some combination of the two, and it's yeah. a little bit of, like, a, an in-step, like, lift with yeah. the foot, but also not, like, just trying to do, like, a little chip because otherwise the foot would have to stop completely yeah. for that kind of to be a full so chip. There's not no follow-through, mm-hmm. but there's not full follow-through. Exactly. Medium yeah. follow-through? Yeah. yeah. It's, just a, it's just a well-placed finish. Uh, follow-through. Mm-hmm. That's what it's called. There you go. <laughs> so that's one nil in the 14th minute mm-hmm. um, in the 84th Ellen White's at it again mm-hmm. yeah with an assist uh, from Carney yep I think the thing we noticed on this is that Japan were kind of desperate at this point right because they want to equalise um, and so they may be maybe chasing England a little bit which maybe made it a little easier for them yeah I mean, I mean I think they're definitely trying to do the exact same thing that England did to Japan for the first goal they're trying to put England under pressure it's a long ball from England a long diagonal oh, yeah, that yeah. I think a Japanese defender wins in the air it may be uh, Shimizu again uh, but basically then it's England get numbers to pick up that loose ball yep. similar oh, to what they did Paris right mm-hmm. she's come off the bench yeah the uh, similar to the first goal and then it's just a lot of quick combinations of passing and moving that I think Japan, again, are sort of uncertain of who needs to stick with which marker and where they need to be. And because of that, they kind of pull some players out, leaving space in the middle, and then it's a centering ball, a couple quick passes, and another goal for Ellen White. Is it Carney outside of the foot through ball again? Just as she's sort of falling? Very, very similar to Stanway. Mm -hmm. I think Ellen White's finish here, I think, is a classic example of fandom versus analysis. Um, I thought that she had spotted a very tiny gap inside the near post and expertly struck it through this very narrow channel like like Luke Skywalker hitting the exhaust port or Mm -hmm. or whatever and you said no and you said no, watch. She's not even looking. She's just looking at the ball and she's just hitting this. I mean, it's it's basically she's moving a little bit away from goal uh, onto her left foot, which she appears to be left-footed. Yeah. So I think it's her just trying to take it with her left foot in stride, trying to put it back across frame. I think that's going to be blocked out or covered. And even then it's going to be the physics of it would be very difficult. So, yeah, I think she's just power power in-stepping yeah. into the near post. And it absolutely worked, right? It certainly so, does. Uh, I mean, it's a good example of if you put a decently powered shot on frame when you're sort of in that counterattack breakaway moment, it's going to be very difficult for the goalkeeper to react if you try to think about it and start getting into head games and wait for the goalkeeper to make a move then you're waiting for the goalkeeper to do something and now the goalkeeper has all the power so just hit it just hit it so just hit Mm -hmm. it England 2 Japan nil. and again Group D finishes like this England on top with 9 points England joined the 9 point club which so far includes only France, Germany and England US will hope to join them very soon Uh, Japan in 2nd with 4th so they go through which Felt unlikely after they drew Argentina. Definitely did. Yeah, so well done to Japan for for getting through. They go through with four points. Argentina, we already talked about in third with two points. Scotland bottom with one point, but it could have been so very different. Scotland got one point? Scotland got one point. They did? Oh, I yeah. didn't remember that. They, they drew Argentina today. Oh, right, of course. I thought they lost. <laughs> it felt like a loss. I mean, they lost two points today. Yeah, yeah, they lost two points. That's what it feels more like. Yeah, I genuinely, I just thought they lost because of the way it ended for them. And I think it probably feels like a loss to Scotland as well because, oh, as we've already said, with the way they went 3-0 up, with the three points, it felt very much like they had found a way to mm-hmm. be able to advance. They would have gone ahead of Nigeria It was like instead. the World Cup had just started, right? Yeah. It just felt like things were just getting going. Yep. And instead, here we are. All right, switching to groups E and F, Mm -hmm. which will be concluding um, on Thursday. Let's get into this. Obviously, USA-Sweden, or Sweden-USA as it's listed, um, is the big one. But noon kickoff, it's Cameron, New Zealand, mm-hmm. which we've already talked about. If one of those one of those wins, they can take a third place spot. The other game in, in Group E is Netherlands, Canada. Right now, Netherlands top on goals scored. So if they just you know 
take a draw. Yep. They'll be they'll finish top of Group E. There it is. There's your Group E preview. Tape. Beautiful. <laughs> All right. Group F, Thailand, Chile. We've already mentioned if Chile win, we assume that Chile is maybe more favoured to beat Thailand. Yes, they could grab themselves a third place spot. Good goal difference is going to come into the equation here at some point. But yes, yes. Thailand theoretically could as well, but it's unlikely based on the performances we've seen. Yeah, and also, your eyes got very wide, and also would need to score about eighteen goals. I think. Yeah, the goal difference not good. New, no. not good. I believe negative sixteen, maybe might be more than that at this point. The game will. Yeah. yeah, the game we'll be focusing on is Sweden versus the United States. Mm-hmm. US are top of Group F. This is true um, on goal difference because of that big Thailand win. Indeed, if this game finishes in a draw, mm-hmm. the US goes through. There has been talk. This is a three o'clock kickoff, by the way, mm-hmm. on Thursday. There's been talk that maybe the US should try and not finish top and therefore avoid France in the quarterfinals. I think we both agree that that's some nonsense. I mean, yes. I understand where that perspective is coming from. I don't think it's a thing that's going to happen. Yeah. uh, Because, number one, Jill Ellis has said it's not going to happen. She expects them to have to beat the best teams Mm -hmm. if they want to repeat. And so that would be France. She's correct, right? I agree with Jill Ellis on that, right? Don't try and dodge people. But it's also... This isn't boxing. You don't try and dodge dodge the good fighters. You do not. But it's also (laughs) a situation in which the United States would have to very obviously do that because of where they are and how many goals they've scored. Like Becky Sauber and turns and shoots. A little bit. Like it, it, <laughs> it's it's not a scenario in which like the United States is maybe through for like whatever reason is like second in the group, like two goals behind, and they've really got to go at the team, and then they risk like going too far and do they lose? Like it's not one of those moments when maybe you could see how they would just be okay with it. Instead, I do think they'll probably go for the win, and with that in mind, I also think they'll probably play about as strong of a team as they could. I think so too, because this is a game with some history, right? Mm-hmm. So the U.S. won the 2015 Women's World Cup. Like they felt like the greatest team in the world. They went to the 2016 Olympics, and the rock they hit and crashed out was Sweden's mm-hmm. defense, right? And it was Sweden playing a really sort of disciplined 4-4-2, uh, restricting the U.S. Some to, would say cowardly. I am not one. Uh, certain <laughs> former U.S. goalkeepers would say that, right? Yeah. And uh, my memory of that game, and you did some reading, like some match reports from 2016 uh-huh. as well, is essentially Sweden did a good job of restricting the U.S. to crosses from wide but not from good spots yep yeah yeah and that was all the u.s was able to get in and nilla fisher sweden's famously very very good center back was mm-hmm. able to just head a bunch of that away get yeah. out of here she would say to all those crosses yeah i mean that's definitely a big part of it and if you think about it the united states is much better when the crosses are like low and driven or cutbacks yeah it's kind like of heath to the end line and cut yeah. it back yeah lofted yeah. crosses from the channel from like 15 to 20 yards out mm-hmm. less so um on top of that then i think sweden intentionally tried to slow the game down whereas the united states yeah. as we've seen in this tournament is especially trying to keep the ball moving, trying to keep it in play and moving quickly to tire out the opponent. If you let Sweden dictate the pace, they're going to slow it down, they're going to take their time, and they're not going to let the United States kind of get into the rhythm that they need to be in. So do we think Sweden in this game do the same thing? Yep. Yeah, Mm -hmm. right? Well, I mean, because that means they're accepting second place. But I guess that's not the whole plan. It's not just a draw. The plan is to frustrate and then maybe get the U.S. either on a counterattack or on a set piece. Yes. That will be probably Sweden's plan, right? I, I would say so. And it is a different manager. Uh, it's Gerhardsen instead of Pia Sontaga. But I, I think that if you're Sweden, you don't want to risk sort of losing this game 4-0 by trying to go toe-to-toe with the United States and being open because that can hurt your sort of momentum going yeah, to the yeah. knockout round. The wheels that you have get kind of wobbly, right? A little bit. Yeah. And it is, it is also the case that Sweden, if they finish second... Right now, the way the table looks, the way the brackets look, it does feel like they go into a slightly easier uh, bracket than where the United States would end okay. up being. But they'll still play, face, I mean, that's where I think England will be. No, England might be in the USA side, but Germany definitely down in there. So they're going to, no matter what, they're going to play strong teams. And this may be a formula for how you beat other strong opponents. So maybe yeah. they want to get kind of very good at it, like up to speed at it here. <laughs> and maybe, who knows, they make a very deep run and it ends up being the United States again in the final. And then Sweden have to kind of be able to deal with it again then. And am I too romantic in thinking that the US is kind of playing for the pride of proving that we fixed the problem of 2016? Because to some extent, the years since 2016 to 2019 has been about the US experimenting with different shapes and styles and coming to this sort of 4-3-3 with mostly attacking fullbacks and Juliet stopping the counterattacks. It's kind of designed to get past a team like Sweden, right? So I wonder that even though they don't need to win, I have this feeling that maybe they're going to go out and really try and win this to prove that the new system works against a team like Sweden. I mean, I probably, but I think they also just want to win. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think the reality is, like, yeah, if you beat Sweden and you avenge the Olympics, yeah. you still got a long way to go. I guess you don't get an Olympic medal for Not it. so much, no. Yeah, you don't get to steal <laughs> Sweden's Olympic medals back. It's interesting you say that, though, because, like, I still have some concerns about the United States in their defense and how they kind yeah, of yeah. deal with 
fairly rapid counterattacks. I would say Sweden, they're not, I'm not necessarily terrified of them the way I might be if it were, say, the Dutch attack mm-hmm. that the United States is dealing with on the counter. Or the French attack. Uh, but there's definitely been some, some like, not necessarily even issues, but just moments of like, ooh, okay, against stronger teams, that might be a problem. So yeah. here we are against a stronger team that has been proven to beat us on the counterattack. I would say one thing that U.S. fans can feel a little optimistic about is just that Sweden, their MO coming to this tournament has been they don't create that many chances, and even yeah. those that they do, they don't necessarily take them very cleanly. Okay. Should we talk quick before we get too into the U.S.? Maybe let's talk about the possible sweat, uh, sweats, mm-hmm. threats from Sweden. Sure. You see what I did there? Mm-hmm. Portmanteau did accidentally. Yep. Um, I would say um, Kosvari Aslani mm-hmm. um, is a player that has caught our eye both in the previews and in the actual games. Remember the, uh, all those touches she had against Thailand mm-hmm. with the, like five touches to all those moves? Yeah. Is that a player that we should be worried about? 100%. Yeah. I mean, I think she's their most dangerous player. I believe she's their top goal scorer, their yep. top creator. Two goals, one assist. Yep. Uh, maybe top in terms of fouls drawn. I'm not sure on that one. But uh, <laughs> yes, I think especially given her ability to kind of control the ball in tight spaces, if the United States are concerned about counterattacks and maybe, maybe Julia Ertz goes too hard on on a a challenge early on in the game. Aslan is the type of player who could evade that but draw the foul and maybe get Ertz a yellow card. Oh, I just had a nightmare image of like a Juliet slide tackle yep. and Aslani sort of like hip swivel away yep. from it. And mm-hmm. yeah, Ertz is sliding through nothing. Yeah. So yes, Aslani definitely a player to to keep an eye on. That said, uh given Sweden's like relative wastefulness, maybe Aslani starts to cheat forward a little bit to try to make something happen. Yeah. That's what she did against uh Chile, I believe it was. So maybe we see that again. Maybe she gets a little bit exposed as a result. Are you with me in thinking that Siga in midfield mm-hmm. is not exactly a threat, but yeah, a threat, but also a challenge, yes. right? This is a warrior in midfield. I look forward to her battles with Julia Ertz. Yes, and maybe Lindsay Horan as well, right? Oh, 100%. Uh, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of physical challenges, and we'll, st- we'll really see who comes out on top. It could make this game fascinating in that sense. It certainly but could. She's not just a bruiser, right? She mm. is, when she gets forward, she can also make something happen. She can crack a shot from distance. Yep. Sega is a player worth being worried about or just game planning for right I think game planning for yeah. because she's also can be dominant in the air she, she's that's it very right. strong very intimidating in the air so and the US is used to just winning all the balls yep. in the air in the first two games it looked almost too easy right Ertz yep. and Haran and all, all those people were just easily winning headers yeah, yeah. this will be their test yeah. um, to talk about other threats I maybe maybe want to jump maybe prematurely but I don't care to today's uh, sponsor FB Ref okay. FBref.com uh, you can use them for all of your many uh, football statistics needs okay I feel like you're tipping your hand to what you <laughs> what uh-huh. your stats might be. You are correct. Please tell me a stat that you found from FUREF.com that is germane for this uh, Sweden-US game. Sure. So I was looking at, uh, as you said, going back and re- like reading some of the match reports from 2016 in the Olympics, it was uh, Stina Blackstinius who was the eventual goal scorer for Sweden. She got the counter-attacking goal. She was only on the field because uh, Fridolina Rolfo, uh, their sort of wide attacker. She's went, still around. She is still around. She went out with injury in the Olympics in the 18th minute. Blackstinius came in. Both of those players have been playing and starting, but Rolfo is the one I want to uh, pinpoint because okay. two starts Point in this, some pins at her. Yeah, uh, two starts averaging only 55 minutes. And that stands out to me because one of those was a halftime substitution. That game was against Thailand. So to me, that's they're saving her because basically she came in, she got a goal against Thailand, but she has been uh, their most consistent shot creator. Uh, also, in terms of crossing, she's providing a lot of threats there. That's interesting. It's not a name I've paid attention to, but those stats, are, those stats are impressive. Indeed. So I, I would say pay attention to Fridolina Rolfo, who will probably, if Sweden go with like a like they've done a four two three one in their first two games. I doubt they do that again. Sweden are also capable of playing a back three, so keep an eye on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Rolfo will be maybe on the wide left hand side and will be integral in the attacks. So too will Stina Blackstinius, who may be their kind of starting striker. In that so you're game. expecting a four four two or a four five one from Sweden if they're defending? I on it, my honest answer is I don't know because I also think they could go back three to try to like get numbers in the box so that they can win everything in the air. But then they still have the wide the wing backs who would probably be more as fullbacks and it's almost a five four one. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see that either. Okay, I got some stats for you about those defenders. I've mentioned a name a couple of mm-hmm. times. Nilla Fischer yep. is the Swedish defender who is you know the dominant Swedish defender, right? Yep. I um, I didn't look at her World Cup stats. I went back and looked because FB Ref has club stats as well. I looked back at um, what was going on when she's playing for Wolfsburg in the Frauen Bundesliga. Mm-hmm. Here's what's going on for Wolfsburg in the Frauen Bundesliga when Nilla Fischer's playing. 22 games in the season, they only conceded 11 goals. Mm-hmm. So they average conceding half a goal per game. That's a pretty good number if you want to win the league, That's as decent. they did. That's they decent. finished four points um, ahead of Bayern. But even more impressive, they started the season with eight straight clean sheets. Mm-hmm. And they closed the season with five straight clean sheets, all with Nilla Fischer, Nilla Fischer 
at centre back. Mm-hmm. That's who we're dealing with uh, in Sweden's defence. All right. And is she? Are you expecting her to be more of a physical player, more of a technical player, like calming it down on the ball and keeping possession? I think of her mostly as anything in the air. She's eating it okay. alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. So if they force us into crossing, like as they were able to do in 2016, Nilla Fisher is going to be who Alex Morgan has to try and beat yep. in the air. And honestly, I don't like her odds in that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would add uh, about Nilla Fisher, though. The other thing I looked at on FB Ref, uh, today's sponsor, was uh, the players that have committed the most fouls. And it is mostly that back line. Uh, Nilla Fisher, yeah. second most with three. The one that I wanted in to... In the whole tournament? Uh, yes, three uh-huh. fouls so far. Magdalena Eric. In four in this tournament, and I that does make me wonder if maybe the United States overloads that right hand side. If Tobin Heath is in there, maybe they have one of the central midfielders slide out there, like Rose Lavelle cheats out there. If it's Kelly O'Hara starting, Kelly O'Hara gets into the attack. If you can overload and start drawing some fouls there, maybe that's where you get Fisher. She picks up a couple fouls early, then she gets a yellow card, and suddenly in like 15 minutes in, maybe she's the one with a yellow card, and now she's going to be a bit more conservative in her defensive approach. That'd be nice. I'd be okay with that. That'd be nice. Mm-hmm. So those stats were found at fbref.com yep. today sponsor there's also the Stathead newsletter you can see in the nav bar you can click the link to sign up for the fb ref newsletter mm-hmm. thank you to fb ref for sponsoring today's show indeed one thing i want to notice is we're talking we're talking about center backs uh, one thing i want to mention mm-hmm. is that we noticed against thailand when sweden scored the goals that maybe the swedish center backs great as neil fisher is in the air not so quick no not so quick. Mm-mm. So it's Fisher and her centre-back partner, whose name is escaping me. Sembrandt. Yeah, Fisher and Sembrandt. They really got beat for pace, mm-hmm. right? So if they do get opened up for any reason, like maybe they've all gone forward for a corner kick and you know we're, we're hitting them on the counter, that's an opportunity for the United States. If yep. there's ever a chance to exploit the lack of pace of the centre-backs, we should definitely try and take that chance. Yeah, absolutely. That, that is like a thing that I'll be keeping an eye on, especially in the first like, 15, 20 minutes, to see what Sweden do. If Sweden get a maybe an attacking free kick, or like that requires requires kind of service into the box maybe a corner do they send their fullbacks forward do they try to take advantage of that and maybe like go for that one goal on a corner on a set piece and then try to sit back a little bit more or are they conservative from the outside and do they keep their defenders back to make sure that they're in a yeah. good defensive position i think that will be very telling as to how sweden are going to approach this game so at least against thailand and chile they did that weird interesting thing everybody in the box corner kicks where and more so than that mm-hmm. right? Not everybody in the six the yard box, box and everybody touching the goalkeeper at the same time everybody in the six <laughs> yard box and crowd the goalkeeper yeah. and um, Endler the Chilean keeper stood up to it really well because she's 5 foot 11 and a half mm-hmm. and like, a really like, you know elite keeper yep. Alyssa Naya also an elite keeper I would argue because um, she's the US starting keeper is mm-hmm. basically my evidence for that yep. um, only 5 foot 9 and maybe not as dominant I mean definitely not as dominant in the air as Endler and this goes back to Hope Solo was ejected from the US team for calling Sweden cowards after mm-hmm. that 2016 game. Alyssa Nea's her replacement. This is Alyssa Nea's really big test, right? To face that Swedish team and to try and deal with those crosses when she's surrounded by giant Swedish players. Yes. And, and <laughs> I am excited for this game because I have uh, full confidence in the US women's national team. All right. But it, it, it's also because of the games they've had to play so far or the opponents they've had. It's still, with every single uh, like preview I've seen or review I've seen, it's been a lot of like, but we still don't know. We still don't know what the defense can do. We still don't know about Alyssa Nair. She had that one shaky moment, even though she, they were offside. Oh, yeah, yeah. But like, like it, it feels like there's like, not necessarily there's an effort to build a narrative, but that narrative is still there of like, oh, how will she do in a crowded box? Just how the she... stories in draft ready to go. Kind of. Uh, and so I, I do hope that if those opportunities come about, that uh, Alyssa and I rises to the occasion, literally yeah, and figuratively, <laughs> and yeah, makes those plays, snuffs out any sort of issues. The defense does fine and handles yep. the counterattack. That's what the other thing I really want to see early on is just like... Sweden try to counterattack and Julie Ertz breaks it up and not even necessarily like knocks somebody off the ball but like makes it just a timely interception in the United States kind of recycle yeah. possession or one of those center backs like steps in and wins a ball and you can just tell right away that the United States is up for it and is going to cut out those sort of direct balls from Sweden uh, at every opportunity. All right, and can we talk about what we want to see the United States do? Sure. Because that they have been, yeah. they've been building, yeah, that's one thing defensively, right? Yeah. I'm talking attacking wise. Mm-hmm. We've been building towards how does the US break down uh, a somewhat bunkered team as Sweden were in 2016 this might be the moment to see if it works if Sweden are doing a good a good bunker defensive mm-hmm. team um, what would we like to see the approach be from the United States or what specific like, little tactical things are we looking for what personnel are we looking for in the starting lineup this is uh, do you where you take any of those questions that I just find out uh, this is a game uh, where I, I I don't always love Tobin Heath's like 
reliance on skill moves. And I know that seems a little bit stupid, and I'm okay with that, because I think that she's incredibly good at it, probably the best on the U.S. team. But there are times when I feel like it could be a little bit more direct. It could be faster to get like the ball off her feet to get could the ball in the efficient. box. This is one where, for the most part, I want to see her go at people. I want to see her take numbers, people right? There'll be Swedish yep. numbers, and we'll need something special yeah. to make a bit of space or mm-hmm. open up some space or get past someone. And like we said, those crosses from deep were not great. Nilla Fisher headed them away. If Tobin Heath can step over mm-hmm. and not make her way to the end line, yeah. suddenly it's a much more dangerous ball if she can just like fire it into the six-yard box and Morgan can redirect it past the keeper. Or as yeah. we've seen her do many times, draw fouls. Because I think that yeah. is the thing she does. She frustrates defenders. They go in like they go in quickly. She has a deft little touch and then she gets cleaned out and it's a free kick and it's yeah, a foul. Yeah. The referee's on it. The referee's aware. Again, yellow cards come into the equation. As long as it's not Sweden getting stretched and then Tobin Heath slowing it down to new moves, which I don't think it will be, instead of it's Sweden bunkered, I like the idea of her taking some people on and yeah. kind of backing herself to come out victorious on the other end. And the new addition since 2016, mm-hmm. one of the new additions, we mentioned her in the Roughnecks Scarves, Adarid, Rose Lavelle. Yep. She might be the key to a bit of, just a little bit of the unexpected move, the bit of creativity mm-hmm. through the middle, which could suddenly, even though Sweden have got the middle covered, suddenly break us through, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that's a big part of, of why Rose Lavelle is so important to this team, because she can unlock those defenses. She can also shoot from distance. We've seen that this tournament and previously. So I think, yeah, having Rose Lavelle in there, so you've got like Tobin Heath doing the skill moves and Rose Lavelle kind of finding those little pockets of space and those little avenues for passes. I think she's going to be incredibly important. I very much hope to see Rose Lavelle in that starting 11. And then the other thing that I would like to see is uh, our fullbacks. Mm-hmm getting forward because I think this is one of the things we've been working on right is having one of the reasons that Crystal Dunn who is an attacking midfielder she's really a winger maybe is her favorite position I think the reason for having her play left back is that she's going to get forward and get involved in the attack and especially down that left side you've got you then got Rapino who's not a traditional winger in the Tobin Heath dribble at people type Mm -hmm. sense it's more of a quick move make a bit of space and play a really clever cross or pass right she's crafty more than anything else make them a bit untechnical but then you've got Dunn who offers a bit more of like a winger type profile Um, suddenly I I really just want to be able to see Dunn being able to get forward and join in the attack and start overloading Sweden so suddenly there's more to worry about than they can deal with Mm -hmm. but somehow that needs to happen without leaving us exposed in the back. And I'm really interested in that balance. I don't know how to strike that balance. I'm interested if the U.S. women's national team knows how to strike that balance. I, I have confidence, again, that they do. Um, I may be wrong, but one thing that I've enjoyed this tournament is seeing just like like all the variations and patterns that this team can kind of bring to the table. Yeah. Like sometimes it's a 2-3-2-3 two, three, two, three, and sometimes it's a 4-3-3 three, three, and sometimes yeah. it's a back one and sometimes it's a back. Like, <laughs> I, I like the, Hopefully not against Sweden. I mean, I don't know if they're pushing for it, if they're going for it. Um, but 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 all of that is there can be those times when it just seems like, oh, a team's trying this and a team's trying that. And like, Ugh, I hope that's going to work out. What I what I kind of go back to is that even when they change the formation, even when they change the approach, it seems like for the most part, everybody knows what is expected of them. If it's OK, now the fullbacks are going to go central. They both know when to go central and how to do that. If they're sort of doing that, like. Like f- like four person box with Julia in the middle, they know when to do that. It yeah. seems like everybody has had enough practice together and enough experience together to know how to adjust on the fly to what's being asked of them. And I've got a feeling that something specific will be asked of them or will have been instructed yep. by Julius for this game, and that we haven't seen it yet because mm-hmm. it's not appropriate or useful to do it against Chile or Thailand. I think there'll be a plan that we won't find out until 3 p.m. Eastern tomorrow yep. <laughs> when, when we see this game. Um, one of the big features of the U.S.'s game over the past few years, I think might be useful against Sweden, is the counter-press. Yep. We have suddenly become very good, not suddenly, we've slowly become very good at, we're attacking, we lose the ball, the other team has it back, we're on them straight away and we win it back straight away. Yep. I, I want to see that against Sweden. I want to see that too. With the counter-press, we know that like the goal is to not overcommit, to have to commit a foul, or certainly not to get beaten because then everybody's pulled out of position. I say that to say, we don't do specific predictions that often, at least not recently. A very specific prediction for me in this show is that Lindsay Horan is going to foul somebody in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> and I don't mean because... Deliberately? She, yes. I don't mean because she's going to over-pursue, but I think of all of the players on that national team, and there are several who I think would kind of go this route... You know that old adage of like you hit the you hit your opponent early and they're sort of like wow this is going to be the game the whole time and it just like if you can knock the opponent off the ball quickly there is that feeling of like oh no <laughs> like I've got 90 or 89 more minutes of this I think Lindsay Horan is a player that I believe 
believes in that philosophy. Yeah. And so I will not be surprised if she fouls somebody very early into that game. This is a mean team, mm-hmm. right? In, a re- in the best yeah. possible way. You got to be right? nasty to win, man. Yeah. That's how it works. Apparently. Yeah. Um, anything else that you sort of want to talk about in terms of uh, Sweden versus the United States? Weirdly, with everything we've been talking about in terms of how they're going to create chances and how they're going to score goals, we have not yet mentioned Alex Morgan. And mm. I don't know if that means something. I feel like it might. It's because the the way I'm thinking of this game is the the uh, the the problem we have mm-hmm. to solve is getting the ball into the box in yep. a good way for Alex Morgan. Mm-hmm. So it's all like I kind of especially now trust her to just deal with it when it gets in there. But it's the how do we unlock it and get in there to begin with? Yeah, is the, I, is the big question. And I think the third thing then that I'm going to be watching, I think like my three big things that I plan to keep an eye on. The third one would be Alex Morgan and okay. how she because I I don't always love the runs she makes. I feel like she often wants to go vertical. She wants to stretch that yeah. back line. I doubt there'll be the opportunity to do that against. That's Richard. what I'm saying. So yeah. how do, what does she then do? Is she looking to to kind of find uh, by pockets of isolation to maybe meet a ball in the air and win a header? Is she trying to like pull defenders out of position? I want to watch her movement and what she's trying to do. Maybe in the first 15 minutes, I think, again, yeah. you'll get an idea of what her tasks are in this game. I think in my head, I'm sure Jules has a plan, but in my head, what I would like to see Morgan do is maybe coming away from the defenders, yeah. pulling people out and letting other people then uh, fill that space. Yeah. Right? Like Morgan comes deep and Haran runs in behind her mm-hmm. and we just like unsettle Sweden a little bit as opposed to banging balls in for her and just mm-hmm. hoping she gets ahead to it. There you go. Yeah, that better not happen. I'm pretty sure it won't happen because we're a more sophisticated team than that now. Yes. Yeah. We are. Do you think there's a chance we see? Okay. So say the United States is struggling to create chances. This is a difficult question for you. Um, uh-huh. If if they do bring on an attacker to try to change things up, you can answer this either way you want. Would you rather it be Carly Lloyd or Jessica McDonald, or or if you prefer, do you think it would be Carly Lloyd or Jessica McDonald? Is this sub replacing Alex Morgan or going up there in addition to Alex Morgan? Whichever one you want. I think, even though Carly Lloyd has this, like... I'll, 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 I'll answer it, actually, I think about it. Because I feel like it's going to be difficult for Jill Ellis to pull out Alex Morgan in a game like this if the United States is going for it. So I'm going to say in addition to Alex Morgan. In addition to Alex Morgan, I think I would add Jess McDonald. Okay. And the reason I would do it is just because... I agree, and I feel weird that I do. She does offer an aerial threat, yep. right? And if we've had moments where we're not... Because I'm assuming that this is a situation where we're struggling, right? Mm-hmm. We're not able to create anything. And the one thing we probably won't have tried is having a big target forward mm-hmm. and swinging balls in for that big target forward. So that's like the that's my very sort of it's a bit basic, but mm-hmm. that's what I would go to. I'd get McDonald in there and see how Nilla Fisher does with her. I, I agree with everything you said. I would add to it that I also really enjoyed when Jessica McDonald came in against Chile, that she was dropping in and that she was looking to kind of hold the ball up, control the ball with the defender on her back yeah. and look to play off of people. I think that could be equally useful as yeah. her sort of movement and her hold-up play. And I think the reason why I say I'm surprised to agree with you is because going into this tournament, like I, I kind of thought there was a chance that we would end up seeing Carly Lloyd start as the center striker for the United States by the end of the competition. Right. I remember Kathleen Murray talked you out of that, basically, right? A little bit, yeah, yeah a little bit. But I think I, I definitely, like, we talked about it in the review of Thailand, how hell-bent Carly Lloyd seemed on scoring a goal and how she was just going to go for it and go for it and go for it. Yeah. And I guess I haven't been as impressed by the, like, unlocking abilities of Carly Lloyd this tournament. It's felt more like she, it's like her sheer determination. It's more like the Carly Lloyd's going to score a goal no matter exactly. what ability of Carly Exactly. Yeah. And like, don't get me wrong, she's an amazing player. She's one of the of best course. players on the team. But it's, it's just still, it hasn't been that, like, that next level ability from Carly Lloyd. Like we saw against Japan, where she knows exactly where to be. Maybe it's a design play. Don't care. She still knew exactly where to be and exactly how to finish that mm-hmm. one. This go-round, it's felt a little bit more like she's just going and going and going, and she's going to find a way through through sheer determination. Yeah. And strangely, I don't know if that's what I want to see against a team that is going yeah. to require a lot of determination. Well, maybe after McDonald's come in, mm-hmm. like maybe Lloyd is a sub, and actually she would go back to her old position go. and play midfield. Like yeah. Maybe she's the replacement for Rose Lavelle if Ro- Rose Lavelle's run out of gas. That's a distinct or for, possibility. Or for her end, because she does offer a weird amount of creativity through determination, right? Yep. She seems to... Go past people mm-hmm. even when she's about to lose the ball. She finds a way to get past someone. Yes. Which is a very specific type of dribbling, but it works for Carly Lloyd. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and and it occurs to me that generally with my specific predictions, I, I, I get them right or oh, I miss right? wildly. Oh, I should have uh, waited for the end of that sentence. Yeah. Uh, and I do feel like there's a chance that it's going to be nil-nil and Carly Lloyd's going to sub on and score a goal and then I'm going to get a lot of tweets. I mean, that's fine because yeah. we'll still be able to celebrate that Carly Lloyd goal. There we go. Goal, there we right? go. If the US finishes top, Mm -hmm. we play Spain. Yep. Yeah. If we finish second, do we know who we play? Uh, I believe we do, but I cannot remember off the top of my head. But yeah, I think like the brackets are all sort of uh, set at this point. So if we finish second in group 
F, I'm stalling for time, because I want you to know, Daryl, that <laughs> if that were to be the case, that would obviously be – there it is. Uh, at the very bottom of the bracket, uh, it would be against the runners-up of Group E. Oh, so Netherlands or Canada, depending mm-hmm. on what – we'll know by the time we kick off, right? Because that will. game will have been at noon. You're going down Canada or the Netherlands or Spain. <laughs> That's it, right? And also Sweden. It's one of those three. Yes. It's one of those three. But first, Sweden. Mm-hmm. Once again, it'll be three o'clock. Yep. Um, I'll be watching this game from the uh, chemotherapy clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll be uh, something to keep me distracted. That means I won't be around for the review, right, on Thursday or Friday. But we will have a special guest. We will. Caitlin Murray to help us review this game uh, before the week is out. That is the plan. Yes, her schedule permitting, but hopefully so. We'll also have a special guest on to help uh, preview the U.S. men's national team game against uh, Trinidad on Saturday yeah. night. I think oh, it's, you, it's a week of... You uh, pointed it out, yeah. Yeah, it's a week of... I don't want to say revenge. It's a week of... Vengeance. Uh, vengeance, okay then. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's a... Well, oh, shoot, what was the, the phrasing you had? It's like to put the ghost to bed or whatever. Well, just facing your demons. Yeah, maybe. exactly. Yeah, the week of facing mm-hmm. your demons. Uh, so U.S. women against Sweden, the demon of 2016. Yep. Uh, the U.S. men against Trinidad... The Demon of October 2017. One of those was slightly more upsetting than the other, I'll say. Yeah, only one of them had an own goal in it. Yes, yes. Failing to repeat as Olympic champions, slightly less of a bummer than failure to go to the World Cup. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. So there, that's today's mm. show, unless you have anything else to add, Mr. Rockwell. I do not. Go America. Go America. <laughs> Woo. Where's it going? Uh, to support Carly Lloyd as she scores the game winner. Yeah, and into the round of 16. I knew it all along. <laughs> Tyler Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you again very soon.